0: Hello, I'm Mike Buscelli, your host for this podcast and the global community that has rallied around it. During this episode, I invited a global higher education expert onto the show to share how he and his team are making sizable contributions in the healthcare industry, especially during these turbulent times as we battle COVID-19. Andrew Malley is the CEO of Dignity Health Global Education, a leading healthcare workforce development company dedicated to providing customized educational opportunities and a student centric experience. Andrew and his team partner with top ranked academic institutions and thought leading professionals to create online programs and workforce development. While together, Andrew shared how his almost two-decade world journey has prepared him to lead DHGE as the go-to resource for developing the healthcare workforce to meet the challenges of today and tomorrow. Additionally, Andrew gave healthcare professionals valuable and insightful advice to navigate these uncertain times for our industry. I'm grateful for Andrew sharing his perspective and message of hope with our community as we continue to react and adapt to the quickly changing healthcare professional landscape. Andrew, welcome to our podcast today, and thank you for taking the time to be with us.
1: Thank you, Mike. It's great to join you today. I'm actually dialing in from the UK right now. I'm usually between the US, Canada, and Britain, but COVID's locked us down, so I'm in the lovely countryside in the north of England right now.
0: Oh, well, good for you. The UK is absolutely one of my favorite countries, so I'm glad you're safe and sound over there. I have a lot of wonderful friends over in the UK. Well, Andrew, I'm grateful to have you on the podcast today, given your deep expertise in higher education and to discuss how your organization is on the leading edge of remote workforce development for the healthcare industry, which, of course, is needed now more than ever, given this pandemic that we're currently in. But before we dive in, Andrew, a bit of housekeeping for our audience. While listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to join our free online community at PassionatePioneers.com in order to share feedback and ideas and interact with the global ecosystem. If you're listening to this episode via our online community, thank you for being with us. And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. So you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli" on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Andrew, it's almost time to learn more about Dignity Health Global Education and how you and your team is helping move the industry forward. But first, let's take a moment to break the ice a bit so our community can get to know you. I'm gonna select one of three questions here. Okay, what is your favorite place on Earth and why?
1: Uh, That's a really difficult question for me. I've been very fortunate in my career to travel all over the world. I think in the last five years, I've been to about 40 countries, and I fulfilled a lifelong ambition of filling a passport up with stamps which as a child, I was always keen to do. But in the US in particular, I really, really like Miami, sort of the winter sunshine. And I've grown a fondness for kind of Phoenix and Arizona, you know, the outdoor lifestyle. It's really beautiful out there. But I would say that my heart sits in Italy. I lived in Florence for a while, in my 20s, for about six months, and having a long summer in a beautiful city at a great age. Being in my mid-20s was fantastic, you know, hot days, wine, it was an amazing time for me when I was young. So yes, I would say Florence and Italy are my favorite places.
0: Well, you have already won my heart over. I am a huge fan of Italy. A number of years ago, we went and visited the area of Pompeii and Herculaneum and saw the ruins from the Mount Vesuvius eruption. Wow, that was an amazing trip. Did you ever take a trip out to those ruins?
1: No, I didn't have a chance to. I went to a few places, but what I realized about Italy after living there for a while is as a place to be, I really enjoyed it. And as a place to live and work, it kind of drove me a bit mad. It was very different to being in London or if you can imagine being in New York. So I think it's a place with my heart, definitely Italy and places place like Rome and Florence. But I find it a very frustrating place if I had to live there too long. So it's a unique kind of relationship.
0: <laughs> That's an interesting perspective. I will say, of course, one of my biggest reasons I absolutely love Italy, of course, is the food absolutely incredible. Just a wonderful place to eat and have some phenomenal wine. I definitely miss traveling right now, given the pandemic lockdown. But uh, when we can do the travel again around the world, Italy is definitely back high on the list. So thank you for sharing that, Andrew. We have a lot to cover today. The work happening over at DHGE, especially with COVID-19 and what's happening is we really see, you know, industries and society writ large changing and changing rapidly. Your work and your organization is needed now more than ever. But before we go there, Andrew, if you could take us back and share with us your journey on how you then became the CEO over at DHGE, but give us that historical perspective on how that prepared you for this important work happening in your camp today.
1: If I go back to really my professional career, I sort of accidentally fell into education. I was at university I mean, this is going back into the 90s. And I was working at actually kids' summer camps where foreign kids would come to England and learn English. And, you know, so my job at that time being a student was just looking after them, playing tennis with them, and, and it was just general fun. But when I was there, I had the chance to meet teachers who were at that time English teachers, and they lived all over the world. And, you know, this was really around the time the internet was sort of kicking off. So, you know, Japan was still a really exotic place. You know, South America was, you know, the other side of the world, and you didn't know anyone had ever lived there at that time. So I decided when I graduated from school that I didn't want to get a job in England. I didn't want a nine to five. And I wanted to move into education and teach, and but also live abroad, being as I was only 21 or 22. And I was on the internet and I saw an advert And I'll never forget this. The advert said, time for a career change. But Korea was spelt like the country. And they were looking for teachers to go and work in Korea. So I thought it was a great advert. And at that time, you didn't actually need to be a qualified teacher. You just needed to be kind of have a degree and a native speaker back in those days. So I applied for that job. And the next thing I know, I'm living in South Korea I never forget. I walked out my first night there into a city square, neon lights everywhere, no English. And Korea at that time wasn't like it is now. You didn't have K-pop. It wasn't trendy. I mean, it literally was incredibly alien. So I started as a teacher. I found I liked it. I found I was, at least I thought, pretty good at it. And then I moved up the chain. I was a teacher. I was a manager. Then I moved to different countries. I lived in Italy, Turkey. Obviously, I'd worked in the UK, Korea, and in the U.S., And then slowly I transitioned into higher education in my early 30s. And so upwards from there, uh, once I would moved into higher education, I then became a director at a large multinational group. Then one day, completely accidentally, if you like, I met senior colleagues from Dignity Health, the leadership team of Dignity Health. So these are people like Marvin O'Quinn, who's the president over at Common Spirit Health now. And then we met in London, and we were discussing... Healthcare education, and I was talking about my issues with it, how I felt it could be better, and how I felt that a healthcare system should be on the forefront of education, not waiting to, you know for universities to sort of pass them over graduates and After about two years back and forth lawyers and you know discussions, we eventually opened up Dignity Health Global Education, and that was all on the back of a sort of accidental meeting one morning in London, so yes, an eventful career from the age of 21, 22. So I've had 20 years in the industry all over the world. And I really, you know, I love what I do. I think education is fantastic. And having been all over the world to Africa, to India, to Asia, you really begin to understand the value of education and the difference it can make. And that's also very true in healthcare. You have better trained staff in healthcare. If you have better educated people with better skill sets, that's going to have a direct consequence on, on that individual, but also on the patients they serve.
0: And some of the best organizations are accidentally founded, just kind of how you just described that, Andrew. And can you give us a little bit more of a historical perspective of the formation of DHGE? How did that happen? You know, obviously you had these meetings, things started arising, but kind of take us through that journey because it's always fun to hear how things actually were born out from conversations and now a leading organization that DHGE is. How did that go about?
1: So If I go right back, on a Thursday night, I got a phone call at nine o'clock in the evening from some colleagues, an organization I worked at. That organization was called Global University Systems, based in London. And the, the chap who called me was one of the directors there, the managing director, and said to me, Oh, Andrew, we've double booked a meeting with some healthcare people from America. Can you meet them? 'Cause you know, we're double booked. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I know the American education system well. i have been working in that market, but I wasn't particularly, you know, well versed, shall I say, in, in American healthcare. Obviously the British system's very different. So I thought, okay, well fine, I'll meet them. And that was at nine o'clock in the morning the next day. So that evening I did some research and then as I looked deeper into it, I realised some key issues that I thought were really pertinent. I realised that healthcare systems were spending lots and lots of money on education, but I don't know where that money's going. They have tuition reimbursement, but no sort of quality assessment of how that money is being spent. But also I knew and I realized that some of the modern day issues affecting healthcare were really being overlooked. We think about cybersecurity or analytics, those kind of issues. So I obviously wasn't that sure because again, I'm not a, an experienced healthcare professional in the US. But anyway, next day I met, you know, very senior at that time dignity health executives. This was pre the merger between Dignity Health and CHI, and the merger was probably about eight months later. So I was with the leadership team of Dignity Health, and we just spoke. We sat there together, and we just spoke about challenges in workforce development, in education. And as I discussed it with them, they agreed. They were very honest. They agreed that things need to be better, that education can't just be a retention tool. It should be a quality tool. So from there, we went back and forth. I was working, as I say, an organization in London, and we went back and forth and eventually formed a kind of joint venture company with Dignity Health, as they were then, the lead shareholder, obviously their names and our name, and we had other groups as well as part of it. And the notion was that we would be a workforce development organization. We would not solely service common spirit, we would service healthcare in general, but also it had to be digital, it had to be online, just Common Spirit itself now, post-merger, I think in, in 21 states, I believe, maybe more. And you know, so they can't possibly educate their staff in a face-to-face format. I mean, it's impossible to do. But equally, you want to ensure the quality of education in North Dakota It's as good as the education their staff are receiving in San Francisco. So the company was created to service common spirit staff and improve their outcomes and their educational experience, but equally to work with other healthcare systems, particularly in rural communities, actually, it's worked out to improve their outcomes as well.
0: And who knew just mere years later that a pandemic would be in front of us? and this work is needed now more than ever and so i wanted to start talk directly about dhg and your efforts in the marketplace given covid-19 and, and for our audience dhg is offering online comprehensive industry relevant education programs that have been designed through industry academic partnerships to enhance operational efficiency across health systems and provide the highest quality of patient care i mean so exciting there can you share a bit Given that mission, given that perspective and what DHG has been up to, can you share with us how you guys are applying all of this work to this time that we're in right now with COVID-19?
1: Yes. I mean, the first thing I probably touch upon is it's good to establish what online means because it's a kind of a loaded term. The vision of online learning to many people is PDFs and PowerPoints. And sadly, I think for a lot of healthcare workers... They've had, you know, a less than positive experience with digital education because of that, because of PDFs and PowerPoint. That isn't what we're about. We have top, top instructional designers and we really develop high quality video lecturers. We have live sessions. We have facilitators who work in industry, former CEOs, and we create a great experience for students 24-7. And what's pertinent to COVID about that is it doesn't matter where you are and who you are. That quality is accessible from everywhere, particularly at this period where obviously some staff are working from home or some staff are very busy and need flexibility. So they need to be able to access content on their phone, on their tablet, on their desktop, depending on where they are. So for us, that online experience is really important, but it's got to be important to everybody, no matter where they are. So, I mean, we've got this photograph that we use and it's of a graduating class in Phoenix, and there's a graduating class in a tiny little town called Globe out in the desert of Arizona. And both groups have graduated through our Duke Certificate Program in Nurse Leadership. And it was such a telling picture because on one hand, you had a group who were from St. Joseph's in Phoenix, you know, a flagship hospital, 800 beds, huge place. And on the other side, you had a critical access hospital out in the middle of the desert, with 25 beds or so. And the same group of type of people graduating with the same qualification. Both groups had a great experience. And that's been highlighted further by COVID, that no matter where you are, you can access high quality education, no matter the circumstances. If you're furloughed, you can still access qualifications. And for us, also from a programmatic point of view, we've been looking how to adapt our programs for the times that we're in. So for example, we created a program with the University of Exeter, who are actually a British school, but they're really top medical school they're fantastic at sports science so we created a program called strength to endure which is around resiliency and it's around personal development around nutrition around hydration and you know the program was basically ten dollars with all the profits going to charity and what was interesting about that program is that we brought in sports psychologists to help create that program because we viewed covid as a time where people were under stress Performance management was really important. People had to understand that they should rest, they should hydrate a bit like an elite athlete. And I know that seems quite an odd thing to say, but when you really think about some of the pressure those staff members on the front line have been under, you know, it's a good approach to take. So again, because it was delivered mobile first, because it was accessible, and in, in, in this case, it was all sort of micro learning, it was very appropriate for frontline workers who wanted to take that program. and. So that flexibility, accessibility, and fundamentally high quality is always important. But during this COVID period, it's, it's been even more so.
0: And with the COVID period, Andrew, are you seeing different types of personas, if you will, that are coming into your environment to learn? Because again, everything's moving and changing so fast. Are you seeing new ways that the platform and the organization is being leveraged or new persona types? What has changed for you positive in regards to serving communities that you do with the pandemic?
1: So, there have been two sides to that, which are quite interesting. On one side, I think it's shone a light on some of our programmatic offerings, which we've been banging the drum about for years, about how important they are. Now, people are realizing it. So, we've got a program in, in data analytics, or health analytics rather, with Pepperdine University. And, you know, I think a lot of people in healthcare didn't realize how data and analytics really apply to them and why it's important. You know, healthcare is one of the largest sources of unstructured data you're ever gonna find. And I think COVID has shone a light on people. They need to understand data. They need to understand analytics. They need to understand, you know, how to deal with numbers. So that's been one area where there's been more of a light shone in it, we see more traction and more interest. On the other side, which is probably, I think more positive, we were approached by clinics, health centers, about actually using our platform to connect them with patients. So rather than telehealth in a prescriptive form of outreach, it was about being able to provide patients with support, education, help them during a difficult time. So for example, if you were a newly diagnosed diabetic patient, you know, your support groups had all closed down. You couldn't get to them anymore because you weren't allowed in the centers. So we helped centers connect with those patients and actually educate them, give them advice and help them. And what that did, the genie came out of the bottle. It made a lot of people realize that, wait a minute, you don't have to do everything face to face. The quality of engagement is really high quality. We're meeting the patients where they are. And frankly, whilst it's never our intention to be a a patient facing company, what it did to healthcare professionals we were working with is show the real value that digital platforms could bring. And that was a really, really positive outcome.
0: Well, thank you for that, Andrew. And also speaking of tech and working with technology in this industry, uh, there's been some big news coming out of the DHGE camp in regards to a pilot with Salesforce, a huge tech giant. Andrew, can you highlight a bit what's happening there with this very exciting pilot program that you and Salesforce have teamed up on?
1: Yes, it is a really exciting program. Salesforce were working on a, a project with other partners called the ILR, the Interoperable Learning Record which is essentially around how students are mobile between universities with their credits. And they can save time transferring between schools. And schools trust the data on the record because it's what's called verified data. Now, being from universities, I understand how that can be a valuable project because, you know, it costs money to transfer students. It takes months on some occasions. So if you can do it instantly, that's great. But where I loved it more was in healthcare was in the workforce. Now that is because one of the biggest challenges in healthcare, as you'll know, and your your listeners will know, is placing staff, finding staff, finding the right staff. So many large healthcare systems will replace maybe a quarter to a third of their staff every year. And the placement costs are astronomical. And the actual time it takes can be months until someone is actually in post. So what we're doing with Salesforce is We offer our programs to professionals and as part of their graduation, if you like, from us, they receive digital credentials, badges, if you like. And these digital credentials or digital certificates, if you like, are built up of metadata and that metadata Shows you what people have studied, what they know, what their skills are, the competencies they've acquired. Now that's valuable by itself, because then you have a far more nuanced understanding of that that person's capability. But beyond that, you can then take that profile and you can put it on a blockchain. Now, blockchains are you know a kind of a, a trendy term right now, and it's very in fashion. But what it essentially is is a ledger, you know, an unhackable ledger where we can store information. But what that means, that information isn't being changed, no one's hacking it, but essentially The profile of the staff member is full of this metadata, which is verified, it's come from the institution. So it's trusted, which is the key word here. Now, within your own organization, you can now search that blockchain. So we're building with Salesforce, a user interface to sit on that blockchain. You can search it for your staff and beyond just having their name and their degree, in this case, maybe a BSN, a bachelor's in nursing, you can look at, yes, they've got a bachelor's in nursing. Oh, but look, they've also got a leadership credential. They've done something in rural healthcare management or something in analytics. So you can connect with that staff member far quickly internally. But where the power is, Mike, on this is externally. If that staff member gives consent and people are on that blockchain, other healthcare systems can find that staff member. So now they can search for people on a blockchain to fill positions within their own organizations. Now, of course, people have said to me, oh, we don't want people stealing our staff. People are gonna steal our staff if they're on a blockchain. People are already stealing staff. People are already out there looking for jobs. The most important thing is that you need to know that the people replacing them are qualified candidates. You can take a better look at them, more nuanced. You understand them better. So you can connect them with the right kind of job. But more importantly, you can do it in a matter of weeks rather than months. And you save yourself all those third-party costs. So you don't have to go to Indeed or Monster.com. You can search for this, these badges, these credentials, these staff members on that blockchain, knowing it's verified, knowing it's trusted. So, you know, uh, it is a slightly complicated project. But the, the, the fundamental key takeaway is... It's about creating context and nuance in in staffing and being able to find and fill positions in a much quicker way. But the project is in its infancy, and uh, we're working through it on this pilot program with Salesforce. And that pilot program is also part part of a White House workforce development initiative. So, you know, people are interested for sure.
0: That's very exciting. And myself living in the blockchain space as well with my day-to-day work over at Burst IQ. This is an incredibly exciting initiative. And sounds like we may have to have you back for another episode as this continues to grow and evolve, Andrew. So thank you for sharing that. And let's also continue to talk a little bit about this future state of DHGE and where you guys are going Obviously, the world is changing. It's changing fast. It will continue to do so with this pandemic. And of course, this healthcare industry has been greatly impacted by it in many ways. Where do you see your work, both personally and with DHG, heading in even just the next six to nine to 12 to 18 months? How does the future look for you, for DHG, and for the industry?
1: So the COVID has shone a light on things and some of those things are the antiquated nature of some systems. For example, the idea that nurses need licenses for different states or surgeons do and they can take months to process. You know, when you have a pandemic like this, you need to be agile. You need to be able to move staff as you need them. And so COVID has shone a light on that. It's also shone a light on the necessity to know what staff can and can't do and have a better understanding of your workforce. So for us moving forward, we are not only offering degree programs built with universities and industry leaders, but we're also very much going to keep on focusing on skills and applied skills. So let me give you an example of what I mean. We build programs with industry leaders. And by that, I mean, we bring universities in to help frame our uh, programs, to add that academic framework to it, and most importantly, quality assurance. But then we bring in experts from the field, former CEOs, former CNOs, to then help shape the program from an applied perspective, but then also join the program as a facilitator, a counselor, a mentor to people on that program. So when people graduate, they have some skills from the real world. They've heard from people who've gone through it. They feel more confident. They feel they can take those skills and competencies and apply it to their work. And as we move forward through the next year to 18 months, the areas we're very much looking at are where healthcare systems can be improved in a very tangible way. So how do we um, move clinicians from medical practice into business practice so they can understand budgets, they can understand numbers, they can be more efficient? How do we make uh, administrators better with data? And I don't mean you know, to the highest level. I mean, how do we improve that A common understanding, lift up that benchmark? You know, litigation, huge problem in healthcare. How do we make more staff more, you know, conscious of ethics, more, more, more understanding in their responsibilities within uh, a hospital or a clinic or a, any facility to where they're not making mistakes. They have a better understanding of, you know, how these things affect patients. And so therefore, the thing for us is, if a health, a health system takes our programs, they send their staff to us, they can see that return on investment. They can see the value of that program. Because too often in the past, healthcare staff have just taken tuition reimbursement money and gone to university and the healthcare systems have never tracked that money. They've never seen the benefit of that uh, that tuition reimbursement money. What we're saying is, Let's lift up your staff, let's lift up your system, and therefore show you what a real ROI on education can represent.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that futuristic perspective of where things are heading for you. It's incredibly exciting, and it's needed now more than ever, Andrew. So thank you for sharing that kind of view. But let's also talk about today, obviously, and again... This pandemic has hit healthcare industry quite hard in many ways, and one of those is the healthcare worker, the industry worker. So, what advice do you have for workers looking to education to help them retain and obtain new positions in healthcare, especially during these trying times?
1: I mean, healthcare is like any other industry, and people don't necessarily think this, but it's very fast moving. But it has very, very complex challenges, and unlike many industries, I mean, outcomes in healthcare can literally be life or death. You know, I mean, the out, analyzing outcomes is, is so important. What I would say to healthcare workers, and the key word I use in this situation is be relevant. Look at what's needed in healthcare. Not 20 years ago, look at what's needed today, tomorrow, next year, in the next five years. Be relevant to the challenges that healthcare is going to be facing. So if you're uh, in clinical practice, learn about business. It doesn't mean you have to do an MBA, which everyone thinks they do. Take short courses, understand P&Ls, understand efficiency, understand operational practice, you know, understand litigation, understand compliance and ethics. You know, again, that's so relevant to healthcare and always will be. Um, or another very good example I could give you would be things in cybersecurity, you know, understand situational awareness and cybersecurity. Most malware attacks in America are actually against uh, healthcare providers. I mean, so to that end, we're building cybersecurity programs for healthcare with with DePaul University. We have business programs for uh, clinicians with uh, University of Arizona and Duke. And then we do analytics programs ourselves with Pepperdine. But it all comes down to the notion of applied skills competencies, things that make you better at your job in a real way. And I think now more than ever, you know, people have to have a better, more rounded baseline of skills than they've ever needed. And I think that will make you a more compelling candidate for jobs. And I think, you know, that will service people very well as they move through their careers.
0: Thank you for that, Andrew. Very sage advice. And I know you guys are pushing the envelope hard on all of that. And we're going to share in just a moment how our community can get a hold of you, learn more about all of this and the advice that you just shared. So we'll come back to that in just a moment. But let's flip the script a little bit here, Andrew. I want the community to be able to offer you advice or insights or ideas because the community rallied around this podcast is a powerful one and some amazing minds that are supporting our guests, learning from you and otherwise. So, with that, Andrew, can you share with our community one problem, need, or question that you currently have that they can be helping you with? Well,
1: a big project for us at the moment is our work with Salesforce, undoubtedly. And we would really love to engage with people who want to get involved in this project uh, with no really about pilot programs, working with staff, improving things. And we'd love to engage with healthcare systems, get their experiences around skills, competencies, Profiles, hiring staff, how that could be better. Because if we're going to build something that can benefit healthcare, we really need the input of healthcare. And so for us, we'd love to, to hear from people would like to get involved with this project with Salesforce as a national pilot, but also, you know, get their feedback because if your if you're health system or center servicing a rural community, undoubtedly, your circumstances are very different to a hospital in the middle of Los Angeles. And so getting those rounded views, those rounded opinions on how we can make hiring better and faster and how we can connect that to skills and you know, competencies within healthcare. We would love to speak to people about that and get more insight from the industry because we think that's really important. And that, that, will, that will make that pilot a success.
0: Well, absolutely. And we'll have an article posted over at our free global online community, passionatepioneers.com, where any of you can leave a message for Andrew, some ideas, some other resources around the need that he just shared about making this pilot with Salesforce successful. So again, over at passionatepioneers.com, there'll be an entire area to give Andrew and the team feedback on exactly uh, his need at this time. So thank you for that, Andrew. And let's talk about online. Let's talk about some connectivity points for our community to get a hold of you. What are some websites, social media handles or otherwise where we can find you online?
1: So you can find me personally. I'm not a big social media user myself. I'm trying to get over that. Our head of marketing is constantly berating me about this. However, you can find me on LinkedIn, which I do use regularly. And just my name, Andrew Malley, But then we also have Facebook, uh, Dignity Health Global Education. On Twitter, it's DHGE online. And on LinkedIn, again, it's Dignity Health Global Education. And uh, we love engaging with people. Uh, We're developing lots of new interviews and content that people can engage with. And for leaders out there in healthcare who want to speak to us about programmatic development, what they need in industry, you know, how programs can, can be improved and address their problems please reach out to us on social media and we, we, we're happy to engage with everyone. It's, it's all about learning and improving.
0: And the website is dhge.org. Is that correct, Andrew? Yes. Yep. That's right. dhge.org. Excellent. We'll have that, all of those listed as well, again, over in uh, Andrew's article at passionatepioneers.com. So all those connectivity points will be there in one area for you to access. So thank you for that, Andrew. Well, we're going to start wrapping it up here. Uh, we've actually come to one of my favorite parts of, of the entire episode. It's the fill in the blank. Andrew, please fill this in and we'll say our goodbyes after. I'm a passionate pioneer because,
1: for me, I want to create a model in workforce development that doesn't stop at education and training, but actually means you develop your workforce to be the best it can be and move things forward within you know any organization. So, in the same way, precision healthcare and population health are you know becoming increasingly connected, you can do the same with your workforce. I mean, you can have an army of nurses, a common spirit they have. You know, eighty thousand plus. But using technology, you can understand individual nurses' strengths, you know, and how they can be best utilised in a really nuanced way. You know, so you can put your staff on learning journeys that are suited to their needs, suited to the the, the localities' needs, but then also suited to your company's needs. So, for example, don't use general management courses for everybody in your health system. If someone's based in a rural community, service their need. Put them on a rural healthcare management program. And if someone works in Los Angeles, put them on an urban healthcare, you know, program. And that will service not just your staff member better. That will service your company better. You'll have happier staff. And ultimately, that's workforce development at its best, you know. And that's what I'm passionate about.
0: Well, it's very exciting and I can feel it across the pond, Andrew, over here in Denver, Colorado, where I'm calling and chatting with you today on this podcast. So thank you for the passion that you are bringing to this industry. It's needed now more than ever. We have to continue to band together, think of new ways to continue to push our industry forward. Our country needs it and it demands uh, change and positive outlooks that uh, you and the team at dhge are bringing so thank you for that and andrew thank you for taking the time for being with us today i appreciate it i know how busy things are right now for all of you but thank you for sharing your perspective and your insights as to where we can and should head as an industry thank you again for being with us today
1: and thank you as well it's been a pleasure